Hey there, and welcome to Shadow Facts. That's facts as in horse treat-sized pieces of information, a podcast about Lord of the Rings. But only the horse parts. I'm Joey. And I'm Caitlin. And And this this is is our our oath. We vow to discuss every horse mentioned or visible in both the Lord of the Rings books and film adaptations, and we do mean every. We vow to rank every horse mentioned above. We vow to rewrite one of Tolkien's songs per episode to be about horses, live on the pod. And last but not least, we vow to answer the call of Gondor when the beacon is lit. By which we mean, answer your questions about Lord of the Rings horses to the best of our ability. Am I right? Uh, one, two, three, four. I had a moment so of panic leading into that because I was thinking about clop and saying clop. And then I was like, wait, no, you have to clap with your hands. You can't say clop. You have to clap. And then I was like, wait, which is which? This was like all in the like 0.5 seconds between three and four. Oh my God. I got there. I did clap on time. You did. Uh, so these chapters... Oh my god! It's a book episode. We're both, like, a little ragged right now, and so I didn't do my reading until this morning. Same. I pretty much always do my reading morning of, even when we start at 9 a.m. <laughs> my time. So oh, No, I... Often what I do is I read, like half to two thirds of the reading the night before, like late at night. And Mm -hmm. then I read the rest of it first thing in the morning as I'm like eating my breakfast. (laughs) Yeah. I've done that before. I'd like to. But we had more time. So then this morning, because we're starting a little later. So then I read all of it this morning. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing like kind of generally three, three chapter segments for the ongoing book episodes and you know because of how chapters work sometimes it's a pretty variable length like our last segment was like 50 or 60 pages this segment is only like 30 pages and I almost texted you this morning to be like maybe we should throw another chapter on there no 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 there's um there are too many feelings in these chapters I am at capacity I could not take any more bro I (sighs) Remember in Fellowship when we would just, like, fucking talk for hours and hours about, like, one poignant half-sentence? Yeah. We're in- We're in it. We're in it. These chapters, and just, like, just as a heads up for you, we have not had serious character death happen prior to these chapters, and it is gonna happen- in these chapters. It's Legolas. Rip. <laughs> <laughs> OK, 
Okay, sorry. I just, I take that back. We had Boromir's death happen. I don't want to <laughs> diminish that. I forgot about him. Uh, I was like, yeah, none of the Fellowship have died, right? Like, they're all fine. Also, <laughs> also like, Gandalf oh. died. Also yeah, Gandalf, but Gandalf, Gandalf came, back. came back to life, and we yeah. knew that he was going to come back to life, so that was different. This is just, it's just brutal. Yeah. Big Mary feelings. Big Eowyn feelings. Some Pippin feelings in there. Lots of horses, which is nice. Lots of horses. So uh, before we continue, we are covering chapters five, six, and seven of book five, which is the first half of Return of the King. And the chapter titles are The Ride of the Rohirrim through the pyre of denethor there's a middle one that's called something else <laughs> mm-hmm. it's the battle of pelinor field wow so it is so it is um do you want to just jump into it yeah you would be so proud of me i used post-its this time little little skinny ones oh my gosh the ones i sent you uh, honestly i don't remember <laughs> i wow <laughs> i looked for those, uh-huh. and I found a pack of like post-it brand multiple colors, but like skinny. And I feel that is like what I sent you. S- okay, and I couldn't remember if you sent me these or a different style. Everything in my I don't know where anything is because I moved and things are still you moved chaotic. How long ago did you move? Two months. Yeah. God, Almost, it feels like barely. It feels like it longer was than that. January nineteenth. So, and this is March. Is it the Ides of March today? E- no, tomorrow is. It's the fourteenth today. Mm-hmm. Wild. Okay. Uh, time sure is weird. I'm. I'm not judging you for your move because I'll have to move soon and. As I'm sure you can infer from literally everything about me, mm-hmm. um, I don't handle moves great. Yeah. If my mom were moving, like if, if I were my mom, mm-hmm. I would have just like kept doing things until they were done. Because that's just how she lives her life. She just does tasks until they're finished. And that is a concept that is wild. so strange to me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, my mom, she is very much the same way. You yeah. were, we work more like, you were having really bad computer problems before we started yes. recording. Do you want to describe what you were saying? Uh, because well, I feel like that's a better equivalence for how we run. Yeah, for a while there were three task manager windows open. All of them were giving me not responding messages. That's executive function to me, baby. Yeah. Like, some things are very functional because I was strategic enough when I moved in to move in my kitchen fully first so that throughout this whole thing, like, I have had a functional kitchen. It's just that a lot of the little miscellaneous stuff that was, like, sitting around my room, like, there was a box with a Nancy Drew book in it and some post-its that... I just hadn't ever put those things other places. They were just still in the box. Oh, that was the box from me. And it was just like sitting in my room. And so then when I moved, I don't know what I did with those things. But presumably these are the post-its. And my point is that I used them and I used green ones for all the horses and yellow ones for all the other things. 
Wow. So I could easily differentiate. Since we're like talking post-it note systems. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you want to talk about your beautiful gradient? Yes. Thank you. So I have a 12 pack of those little post-it flags and each segment I do two similar, you know, complementary colors and just like alternate between them. So it like softens the gradient a little. Mm, beautiful. These chapters, I want to say that it is so easy and tempting to fall into like giving you, our listeners, like a play-by-play of everything that happens. And I am going to do my best to resist that because either you have read or are reading this book and you do not need me to tell you the plot or you haven't and you don't really care. And you're just here to listen to us, like, talk about stuff that you don't fully understand. So. (laughs) Or you're here to have a voice in your ear to beat back the (laughs) ever-pressing void. Because God forbid you go a single fucking moment without silence. We say this not in judgment, but in familiarity. Yes, but also as a therapist, I will say that if that's how you feel, there are things you can do. To help. Anyways, let's start the chapter. <laughs> um, we do have we do have because one of our vows is to you know the horse thing. Um, yes. you know how on this podcast we have to do the horse thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've heard of horses before. I think. <laughs> Hold on, I do. <laughs> we were just talking about this. Uh, sorry, and then we'll actually start. We working on a thousand piece puzzle downstairs. With my mom and, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like picking it out just to, to show how Shadowfax has not rewired my brain because I guess it was already there, but brought certain things to the forefront. Thousand piece puzzle all laid out. There's like four puzzle pieces on them that have a horse, a tiny little horse far away and the hugeness of this thousand piece puzzle. And those were the first four I pulled out. I was like, uh, horse, 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 put the horse together. It's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Incredible. Every movie I watch now, whenever a horse is on screen, I compulsively say, hey, there's a horse. Yeah, I do that too with reading. Like when I read books and a horse is mentioned, Mm -hmm. I kind of reflexively reach around me for my post-it notes to mark it. Uh, Yeah. Speaking of that, we do have lots of little just one-offs because so much of this, these chapters are about cavalry that there's lots of offhanded mentions of yes, horses. we are not going to mention every time it just says horsemen or riding because right. they're, that's the whole time. That's, but yeah. if it actually sort of says like horse or horses, like as referring to an actual creature present, uh, then we will mention it. Yeah. Okay, now let's actually start. Okay, chapter five. It says... He could not see them, but he knew that all around him were the companies of the Rohirrim. He here is uh, Mary, who is trying to sleep, but can't. He could smell the horses in the dark and could hear their shiftings and their soft stamping on the needle-covered ground. I like that. That one's very evocative. Yeah, it's good. The thing I want to point out here that's not horse-related is... This mention that the leader of the Aered that he and Dernhelm are riding in is called Elfhelm. Well, yes, it's called Elfhelm, which, first of all, like, what? 
I don't know. Man hat. (laughs) Yeah. Like, what? (laughs) Except, I mean, to us, it would be more like we don't have these other sort of like species of people, but it would be more like, like alien hat. That's your name. Anyways, but that he, like Mary is sort of openly present among them, even if he's not openly present to the king who told him he couldn't come. Yeah, and he says... It says there's there seemed to be some understanding between Dernhelm and Elfhelm. Yeah, and um, that's really interesting because we know who Dernhelm is. Right, even though the book has not told us that yet right. explicitly. But yes, it is unclear if the understanding that they have extends to Dernhelm slash Eowyn herself. My understanding there is that it does. It was, and that's why Mary is allowed to be there, like on Eowyn's authority. That's possible. And then this bit where Mary thinks about Pippin. Mary wanted somebody to talk to, and he thought of Pippin, but that only increased his restlessness. Poor Pippin, shut up in the great city of stone, lonely and afraid. Mary wished he was a tall rider like Eomer and could blow a horn or something and go galloping to his rescue. Aww. Wow. The characterization of, because this is not Tolkien's normal writing voice, of the, like, blow a horn or something is really good there. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. What do you want to hit next here? That El- So Elfhelm, the Aered leader, comes tromping through the camp and kind of trips over Mary in the dark. And Elfhelm is swearing about it. And Mary is like, I am not a tree root or a bag, but I am a hobbit. What is What the fuck is happening? <laughs> um, yeah, and then when Elfhelm says goodbye to Mary, he yes. says, farewell, master bag. <laughs> Which is very funny. It's... Uh... Yeah. So we talked a little beforehand about some of this next bit, which is that there is a group of people who live in the woods and are described by Tolkien as wild men. Their leader comes to talk to Theoden and aid him by showing them a path around orcs blocking the road ahead of them. Tolkien's depiction of them is uh, flawed Mm -hmm. and we're not going to really discuss it because we are not people who need to be talking about that. Like I can assume for various reasons that it's flawed, but like I am not the person who gets to say like, oh, this is or isn't racist. We tried to look for someone yeah we we were hoping to be able to point you to someone who is more qualified to speak on that and say here's what they have to say about it so you can kind of form your own opinions about it and and hear from someone who like we said is more qualified and that was not really readily available from some internet searching it did (laughs) in fact those searches did just drive home the ways in which these descriptions and then the popular imaginations of those, uh, like the uh, fan art, seems to be part of the problem. Yeah. Um, specifically, we were looking for like written essays, articles, blog posts, whatever. Um, if you know of anything or have yeah. written anything, please let us know. We would really like to, you know, add to our resource list. 
on this front. And I am positive that like people have written things. They are just, we're having a hard time finding them. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of them are like on JSTOR or behind other academic paywalls. Yes, or kind of on the other end of the spectrum that like there are Twitter threads places and Mm. uh, like I don't know how to find those things, you know? Yep. But yeah, so so we're just saying like we're kind of like jumping over this stuff, not because we're cool with it, but because we cannot talk about it well enough. Yeah, I I just don't know that it would be a very interesting conversation um, other than that like we're both uncomfortable with this. There is, Mm -hmm. there's several mention of horses in there. It's all logistical because the Rohirrim are asking about like, you know, the past that you can show us, do they work for horses? The wild men refer to the Rohirrim as horsemen and like the king of horses, things like that. I did find it interesting that the term horse road is used. Yeah. Initially by those people, but it seems like there's a mention of it either just in the narrative or maybe... A Rohan person says it. Is this about calling it a horse run? Yeah, I know initially it is, but I feel like later there was a mention mm. that was just like in the description. Yeah. But just that, you know, that the idea of like main wide roads are, you know, horse roads as opposed to like narrower walking paths and things like it makes a lot of sense yeah i did also think it was interesting kind of the first detail in the chapter is mary hearing this sound far off this like repeating low sound and it's it's drums Mm -hmm. and um someone mentions that the this group of people the the woses or the duradine um, druidine oh thank you druidine not to be confused with Dunedine. Right. Um, use drums to communicate over long distances, which I thought was kind of an interesting, like, technological note and idea. Yeah, totally. Not, not that Tolkien has invented that, like, talking drums are a thing and, like, drums being used to communicate over long distances. But I did think it was an interesting contrast to, like, the Rohirrim who use horns. And, like, yeah, like, there are these equivalent but different technologies in the world. Yeah. That's an interesting... Yeah. Interesting, though. Definitely. And then at the end of this segment of them being led through the woods, they find the Aaron Riders of Gond... They find dead men and dead horses. Two two dead men and two dead horses. And they were the Aaron Riders of Gondor. And Hergon was one, maybe. So that is Hergon who just came with the Red Arrow to ask Theoden for Gondor's aid. Yes. Uh, revealing that Gondor does not know that aid is coming. Yes, because Theoden, like, sent, you know, him back with word mm-hmm. that, like, yes, we're coming. And then they got killed, which is sad. And the horses, too. Obviously, lots of people have already died in Lord of the Rings and, and like, Boromir. But mm-hmm. of these kind of tertiary characters, you know, we, we hear of, like, oh, like, we lost this many men in the battle. But I feel like there's not... I might be misremembering here, but this, like... We have, we have met this person. They have, like, been first and foremost in the eye of the scene. And then to, like, circle back around to them to find them dead is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of which, Hirgon is not a name that we 
see in the movies, I think, which means I think we should add it to our list of horse names. There are several names through these chapters of like various side characters that I would love to add. They totally bypass that by doing the beacons. Okay, hold on. Horse name list. I've written it down by hand also. So if you want to just add things to the list later, that's an option. So they make their way via um, an alternate path and find themselves like on the plane with a, a view of the city and they can see that the city is burning. There's a note that says, I mean, it's not a note, but it's a Joey note. The king rode in the midst of the leading company, his household men about him. Elfhelm's Eyred came next, and now Mary noticed that Dernhelm had left his place and in the darkness was moving steadily forward, until at last he was riding just in rear of the king's guard, which is sort of set up for future action. Um, yeah. There is an outrider... Named Widfara, which yes. we'll have to check the document and make sure... That wasn't in our like auto-generated list, but that's a great name for uh, another Rohirrim. Absolutely. Horse. The the thing that really stood out to me in this, like as they approach the battle, is just this theme of like communication. Mm-hmm. That like Gondor doesn't know they're coming. They don't know what, what to expect, is happening yeah. in Gondor besides like what they are seeing and what their scouts are seeing. And the scouts who even there's return. This sense, yeah, and there's just I don't know this really like interesting sense of kind of going in to like confusion and like trying to be strategic about how to make the most impact mm-hmm. without being able to like collaborate with other people. Yeah, yeah, we, we've talked about this before about how that that is like a theme that the books are way more interested in than their adaptations are. Which is like, yes. who knows what, like, how do people's, how do people's knowledge overlap and diverge? And like, what does that mean? And how do you deal with it? Yeah. Theoden gives instructions to kind of these like first three Aorets and tells Aemer to stay in the center right behind him and like his banner and Elfhelm to go to the right and Grimbold, another name, uh, to go to the left. Grimbold is such a name. <laughs> what are the two attributes we want to give to this child? Grim, bold. Well, what's funny about them to me too is the words by themselves. Neither of them is a goofy word. Like both of them right. sound sound what they are, which is you know yeah. serious, grim, and bold. But when you put them together, Grimbold <laughs> yeah. is it just yeah. It's some sort of weird like morphology alchemy it's very funny yeah and mary notices at some point that dernhelm does not ride to the right with elfhelm's aired but stays as close to the king as possible i do want to read this little segment oh yes please do uh mary was riding behind dernhelm clutching with the left hand while with the other he tried to loosen his sword in its sheath he felt now bitterly the truth of the old king's words in such a battle, what would you do, Mariadoc? Just this, he thought, encumber a rider, and hope at best to stay in my seat and not be pounded to death by galloping hoofs. Oh, Mary. Mary. At the bottom of that page for me, it, there's a line that says, the horses were uneasy as they, like, ride in. 
There's not fighting yet, but they're getting closer and closer. They can see the fires in the dark. Yes, but right after that, it says the horses were uneasy, but the king sat upon Snowmane, motionless, gazing upon the agony of Minas Tirith, as if stricken suddenly by anguish or by dread. That whole paragraph is kind of really like, oh, fuck, like, everything is bad, failure is inevitable, and then Mary feels wind in his face and there's light glimmering in the distance, the light of morning, which as you remember, has not been happening. Like that weird darkness fell and the sun just had, like they haven't seen the sun. Right. Right. Which is actually an interesting point with the wild men. Like Theoden and Aemir are like, uh, we don't, we don't know what day it is or when it is. Yeah. Like you said, Mary feels this wind, which also, um, I guess it doesn't mention it here, but Widfara, the outrider who had predicted the wind, and this is, you know, a recurring motif in these, says that because it comes from the south, it's a sea wind and it has the sea tang on it. Like always, yes. always, you know, the sea appears as a sign of hope. And Theoden kind of like sits up straighter and has his little like, arise, arise, riders of Theoden. And he seized a great horn from Guthlaf, another we gotta, fantastic name. We gotta add that name. one to the list. Um, his banner bearer. I love that we get, like, Tolkien just, like, gives some of these people names, too. Yeah, there's a real focus on that, too, after the battle. Yes, it feels like, you know, the the Dungeon World uh, thing. Name every NPC. Yes. Well, yeah. also, you have to imagine, again, we're not... I, I hesitate. I know we've done a lot, so maybe I hesitate isn't fair. Neither of us are Tolkien biologists, <laughs> but sometimes it, it feels to me very obvious to look at how his writings were affected by like being in a conflict. Yeah. And this this feels like one of those mm-hmm. times. Yeah. And he blew such a blast upon it that it burst asunder. Damn. Love to blow such a blast. That your horn just breaks. That your horn just bursts? <laughs> and straightway all the horns in the host were lifted up in music, and the blowing of the horns of Rohan in that hour was like a storm upon the plain and a thunder in the mountains. Suddenly the king cried to Snowmane, and the horse sprang away. Behind him his banner blew in the wind, white horse upon a field of green, but he outpaced it. I'm not going to read the rest of the end of this chapter but they have i do i do want to read some of it if that's okay because there's some things in here i really like like aemir and the rest of the aared come up and it says the first of the aared roared like a breaker foaming to the shore but theoden could not be overtaken Mm -hmm. which i really like but also i think ties in because we're we're not at the sea and then in the next chapter during the the battle proper he talks about the fighting happening in the water, and I feel like he's drawing a similar, he's drawing on a similar thing when he describes the water foaming with blood. I that feels like an mm. intentional parallel mm. to me because mm-hmm. a lot of these writers um, will die. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't gonna just skip the rest of the chapter. I did have, have more to say. By the way, I didn't mean I don't want people or you to think that I was gonna just like not say anything more about these remaining words. 
Oh, no, you're good. You're good. I, I know you didn't, you said you didn't want to read the rest of it out loud. Yes. I just wanted to read that part yeah, specifically totally. because I like it. Yeah, I was going to read the last sentence, if that's okay. But is there anything else you want to say bef- before we get that? I think you should go one more sentence than that because there's a, a combination of words that oh, I would yes. like okay. to include. Yes. Um, For morning came, morning and a wind from the sea, and darkness was removed, and the hosts of Mordor wailed, and terror took them, and they fled and died, and the hoofs of wrath rode over them. (laughs) And then all the hosts of Rohan burst into song, and they sang as they slew, for the joy of battle was on them, and the sound of their singing that was fair and terrible came even to the city. I love hoofs, the hoofs of wrath so yes. much. That's our, that's our fucking like, <laughs> our hard, our hard metal band. Yeah. I found this interesting given mm-hmm. Tolkien's experiences of war, because I think in general, he paints battle as like a pretty grim and awful thing. And illustrates the sort of like the desperation and the fear and this and that. And like in those discussions that Faramir has, where he's like, some people in my city came to love war for war's sake. Boromir was one of them. And, you know, I want only war to like achieve peace. And so it's sort of, it felt a little weird to me to have Tolkien highlight like the the joy of battle here. But also I'm remembering that, you know, he was creating a mythology, right? And the Rohirrim obviously like have some influence from like, I think, you know, Norse. Vikings uh, in the Norse. Right. And that Tolkien is not necessarily like endorsing this here as he is trying to like illustrate this particular culture's experience and and values yeah i mean that's a thing that you're talking about like faramir saying like battle not for battle's sake but i think that lines up with tolkien's view of the world that like while there is still nobility and and worthiness in men that like men as a whole are different and diminished from their like more (laughs) noble faramir like past now they do delight in war for war's sake. I just thought it was interesting. And that's the end of chapter five. We did it. We're done. Yeah. So this next you can one me on uh, Twitter at Behold. is is rough. Part of what happens in chapter six, there's you know, there's this initial wave of hope, but then the Lord of the Nazgul top ring wraith king of angmar <laughs> hbic his attention is drawn mm-hmm. by Theoden's charge and there's a lot of sort of back and forth of like okay there's hope and then things are looking worse again and then there's hope and then things are looking worse again there's that sort of happening throughout the chapter there are plot things that happen <laughs> plot is- <laughs> sirens blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> plot is happening 
Yeah, I do like the opening of the chapter, that introduction of the Witch King of Ingmar, who is mm-hmm. not frequently referred to as a king. He's re- more frequently, I think, referred to as, like, Lord of the Nazgul, but they specifically, you know, in this intro, are describing him as the king, and then switch immediately in the next graph to Theoden as the king. So, setting up these kind yes. of contrasts. Yes, yeah, because it says, King Ringwraith, Lord of the Nazgul, he had many weapons. And then, yes, Theoden, King of the Mark. Yeah. Um... King for king. <laughs> king, yeah, king for king. Well, and from like a writing flow standpoint, like, you know, that's a that's a full break after the first paragraph of the chapter, which is not his normal kind of pacing. So that feels like yes. an intentional yeah. setup of these two things. This is part of what I'm trying to get at. Like the Rohan, the Rohan with their like joy of battle, it leads them astray. Like Theoden is like in his bloodlust and that causes him to charge ahead and be kind of reckless in this way that comes back to to get him Mm. sort of yeah i mean sort of he saw the banner of the king and saw that it was far ahead of the battle with few men about it because theoden is like charging out ahead Uh uh-huh and then what happens next theoden and a leader of the haradrim fight this dude who has honestly a fucking standard which sounds sick which is a black serpent upon scarlet yeah. Came against the white horse, then the green, with the great press of men. And the drawing of the scimitars of the South France was like a glitter of stars, which that's a nice little flourish. Uh, and Theoden and the chunk of riders who have stayed with him, like, fight off the South France, and he defeats their leader. When it says, then Theoden was aware of him, which is the leader of the Haradrim, and uh, or Haradrim, and would not wait for his onset, but crying to Snowmane, he charged headlong to greet him. Yes, that's Theoden being reckless, but then he does defeat that guy. And then whoever's left unslain of them, like, turn and flee. Right. And then that's when the the bird descends, or not the bird, that's <laughs> when the, the um, fell beast, like, descends on him. I just, it just feels like the fell beast just happens because... That's what happens. And like Theod is, isn't like it says, you know, dark fell about him, right? Because the Nazgul is in the sky on the fell beast. Horses reared and scream. Theoden says, to me, to me, up Aerlingus, fear no darkness. But Snowmane, wild with terror, stood up on high, like rearing, fighting with the air. And Which then I the... love that description. I really like that description. Yes. And then with a great scream, he crashed upon his side. A black dart had pierced him. The king fell beneath him. And I don't know. I I guess, like, it doesn't feel like that would have been any different if the prior situation had gone differently or if Théoden had more men around him. No, I mean, like, in the larger sense. Because also, Eomer, upon, like, seeing what has happened, is so, like, in his, like battle feelings that he charges off with his with his dudes amr and his guys and then the same situation happens like i don't think i don't think that tolkien is doing like a scolding finger wag but i'm saying i'm saying he's establishing that these things go hand in hand that this like this Mm. this joy of battle like goes hand in hand with reckless death and with unnecessary death i mean like amir who is so caught up in the moment that he abandons eowyn even though she's still alive 
Yeah, I will. Yeah, I'll I'll give you that that side of it. Yeah. Okay. Let's go back to so you know this is this is a big scene, and I don't want to like rush through it because we're doing a, a point a larger point of Theoden's yeah. death. This is like the first time that the fell beast has really been described in the book. Yes. And it's so good. So like you had set up, Snowmane rears and is struck by a black dart and he falls over and Theoden is pinned beneath him. Mm-hmm. Then the great shadow descended like a falling cloud. And behold, it was a winged creature. If bird, then greater than all bother. Okay, you know what? How about how about no, you read it? How about you read it? It's no, I okay. I mean I can, but like it's fine. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know what? That's not even the important part. Yeah. He's kind of setting it up as a bat. The thing that I think is interesting is a creature of an older world, maybe it was, whose kind lingering in forgotten mountains cold beneath the moon outstayed their day, and in hideous eerie bred this last untimely brood, apt to evil. And the Dark Lord took it and nursed it with fell meats until it grew beyond the measure of all other things that fly. And he gave it to his servant to be his steed. Yikes. Yeah, I love, I love like the, oh, you know, it was so deep down in the ocean that it was, you know, forgotten by time or, you know, so deep underground. I I love that. Just imagine Sauron like going to his weird like cave of like, baby fell beasts and throwing them their like rotten meat love to be nursed with fell meats yeah the fell beast settled upon the body of snowmane digging in its claws stooping its long naked neck i hate this i hate i just you know how like when we're doing movie episodes and we don't linger on like the battles because we don't like Mm -hmm. dead and injured horses I don't like this. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me really sad. Well, don't worry. I'm sure the next few pages will cheer you up. That feels like the most visceral violence so far, even though we saw Boromir get just shot full of arrows. Yeah. Like, this feels different. Yeah, I mean, the, book, the books really don't describe that much violence. But... Theoden was not utterly forsaken. The knights of his house lay slain about him, or else, mastered by the madness of their steeds, were borne far away. Yet one stood there still. Dernhelm the young! Dernhelm the young! Faithful beyond fear, and he wept, for he had loved (laughs) his lord as a father. Uh! Right through the charge, Mary had been borne unharmed behind him, until the shadow came. And then Winfulla had thrown them in his terror and now ran wild upon the plain. This is, I don't, it's going to be hard not to read much of this because it's just like so, like, uh, uh, uh. Mary crawled on all fours like a dazed beast and such a horror was on him that he was blind and sick. And he's like, you can just picture, like, he's just been thrown. He's like facing this thing that is so terrifying to him and his heart cried within him you must stand by him as a father you shall be to me you said but his will made no answer and his body shook he dared not open his eyes or look up then out of the blackness in his mind he thought that he heard Dernhelm speaking yet now the voice seemed strange recalling some other voice that he had known 
Begone, foul Dwimmer-like, Lord of Carrion, leave the dead in peace. The Nazgul is like, don't, like, you can't kill me. She's so cool. A sword rang as it was drawn. Yeah, she says, do what you will, but I will hinder it if I may. Hinder me? Thou fool! No living man may hinder me! That's what the Witch King of Angmar sounds like, definitely. Definitely. Then then Mary heard of all sounds in that hour the strangest. It seemed that Durnhelm laughed, and the clear voice was like the ring of steel. But no living man am I. You look upon a woman. Eowyn I am, Eomen's daughter. You stand between me and my lord and king. Be gone if you be not deathless. For living or dark undead, I will smite you if you touch him. Fuck yeah! And and it says the winged creature screamed at her, but the ring wraith made no answer and was silent as if in sudden doubt. It's just so cool because everyone else is so overwhelmed by their own emotions. I, I, I love I love that like Everyone has told her, you know, like, I'm thinking of the conversation in the movie where Eomer is, like, talking specifically about fear and, like, the unmasterable fear of battle and how she wouldn't be able to handle it. But, like, Eowyn is a person who has been fucking mastering her fear her entire goddamn life. Like, she's here. She knows how to do this. Yeah. And then it says, amazement for a moment conquered Mary's fear. He opens his eyes and he sees the Nazgul and and a little to the left facing them stood she whom he had called Durnhelm. But the helm of her secrecy, literally like Durn is like secret or hidden or something. Yeah. Uh, so the, the helm, the phrase, the helm of her secrecy is very funny because of that name but the helm i hadn't even thought of it that way i actually so not to be the like comparing comparing lord of the rings to greek mythology guy which Mm -hmm. i seem to have been recently but like it makes me think really specifically of like the way that they talk about like boons from gods and goddesses like the mantle of secret like the mantle of secrecy from um from athena that is talked about like in the iliad like it feels Mm. like this immortal thing the helm of her secrecy. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. I mean, I took it in in multiple ways. Like, but I think yeah. that's that's what makes that sentence great is that there are like all of these layers happening in it, and yeah. one of them is that her name <laughs> has literally been secret helm, and now the helm of her secrecy has fallen from her, and her bright hair released from its bonds gleamed with pale gold upon her shoulders. Her eyes, gray as the sea, were hard and fell, and yet tears were on her cheek. A sword was in her hand, and she raised her shield against the horror of her enemy's eyes. I'm so hype. Uh, this bo- this chapter really reminding me, like, how earnestly I love the word fell. Oh my god. Yeah. Mmm. Mmm. Uh... Would you like to read this next at least line, if not paragraph? Did you did you read a sword was in her hand? Yes. Eowyn it was, and Durnhelm also. For into Mary's mind flashed the memory of the face he, that he saw at the writing from Dunharrow. The face of one that goes seeking death. 
having no hope. Pity filled his heart in great wonder, and suddenly the slow-kindled courage of his race awoke. He clenched his hand. She should not die, so fair, so desperate. At least she should not die alone, unaided. So, I love. first of all, I love this line, Eowyn, it was, and Durnhelm also, that, like, yeah. it is not... I don't know that it doesn't just discard the Durnhelm disguise as like this fully exterior like facade. She created this new facet of her identity that she wanted like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that like she is both of she is all of those things right now. And Mary can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do love that. Yeah. And then that like. You know, Mary has been so scared. Like, he's literally, like, he's on his knees on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And and then his slow-kindled courage happens, and he's like, I gotta help my friend! It's the should not die alone and unaided. That, like, yes. like this, ugh, this book is so much about solidarity. Yeah. In a way that, like, fuck... <laughs> Yeah, I just teared up because I'm just thinking about, like, yeah, I don't know. Mary's like, no, like, even if I die right now, which is, I mean, in his mind is probably going to happen anyway. I'm going to do it helping her and and we can die together. Um, yeah. And then he's like, okay, like, I can't, you know, attract the Witch King's attention. And so he's like slowly trying to crawl to the side then the ring wraith in doubt and malice intent upon the woman before him heeded him no more than a worm in the mud master bag master worm in the mud yeah and she like i love the display of her competence here like the the nazgul like swoops down on her striking with beak and claw still she did not blanch Wait, blinch? Yeah, Tolkien... What the fuck is blinching? It's the same as blanching. It's just uh, an archaic form. (laughs) Blinch. (laughs) Still, she did not blanch. Maiden of the Rohirrim, child of kings, slender but as a steel blade, fair yet terrible. A swift stroke she dealt, skilled and deadly. The outstretched neck she clove asunder, and the hewn head fell like a stone. Skilled and deadly. Like, yeah. this was not... Yeah. I-, I love that particular inclusion because it's not like, oh, like, through the sheer power of courage. Like, that's important and she's yeah. here. But also, because we know she has specific... Like, she has worked. She has worked on this. I'm thinking about the scene in the movie of her practicing her sword forms, like, in the yes. dining hall after yeah. everyone else is yeah. gone. And then also, just, like, that line, slender but as a steel blade, is, like... I mean, I have other commentary about how, you know, like every good character is described as slender a lot of the time. But the the thing I am reading here is that like she is a small person and it is mm-hmm. easy to associate smallness with uh, you know, weakness and and it and it's it, but it specifically compares her to a steel blade, fair yet terrible. Yeah. And I like that. And then she not only chops off its head, but then, like, jumps out of the way so that it doesn't fall on top of her. 
And it says, All while a, her hair is shining in light, the sunrise. Yeah, a light Ugh. fell about her and her hair shone in the sunrise. And then there's there's more. Yeah, and so this is where uh, Mary is able to jump into the fray. The Black Rider has a mace, which is like, what is it about a mace that is so much fucking scarier than a sword? It's so scary. Yeah. It, partly, like, it feels, I don't know, unpredictable Mm-hmm. In a way. Mm-hmm. And also, like, you can't, like, parry a mace very easily with a sword. Right. I mean, you can, but just the once. Right. <laughs> he's advancing upon her with this mace, and suddenly he stumbled forward with a cry of bitter pain, and his stroke went wide, driving into the ground. Mary's sword had stabbed him from behind, shearing through the black mantle, and passing up beneath the hauberk, had pursed the sinew behind his mighty knee. Or pierced. Pierced works, too. What did I say? Pursed. Oh, I'm so bad at... (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. And then, as soon as he does it, Eowyn! Eowyn! cried Mary, which I love. Yeah, so uh, we we skipped over one paragraph, which is fine, just that the rider does hit her with the mace first. Yes, yes, and it breaks her arm. Right, she blocks it with the shield, but her shield splinters and her arm breaks. And then he's raising his mace again for, like, the death blow when Mary stabs him in the back of the knee, which is incredible. That's the stroke which goes wide. Yes, and then... And then... she, using the last of her strength, she drove her sword between the crown and mantle as the great shoulders bowed before her. The sword broke sparkling into many shards. The crown rolled away with a clang. Damn. Also, then it says, you know, his body, like, disappears. Like, it's, there is no body. It just is empty clothing. But it says, um, a cry went up into the shuddering air and faded to a shrill wailing, passing with the wind, a voice bodiless and thin that died and was swallowed up and was never heard again in that age of this world. Which is both a great description, but also, like, was it heard in a future age of this world? I don't think so. does he come back at some point? Tolkien says that a lot. Like, that's, that's very much like the way he says it. Like, I'm thinking about when they leave the elf grove in Fellowship. And instead of saying, no one ever went there ever again, he says, no mortal man ever set foot there again in, in the age of men. Like, that's that's mm. a very Tolkien way to put that. I don't think it's funny to think about the Witch King fucking, like, coming back. But I, I think that's just a Tolkienism. It's just, it's, it was, like, specific in a, in a specific way. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, later, when Denethor dies... Mm -hmm. Uh, it says, and then Denethor gave a great cry and afterwards spoke no more, nor was ever again seen by mortal men. And that's specific in a different way, right? It does say like, he's not going to come back to be seen by mortal men, but it does allow that like, there is some life beyond what he's living in Gondor where like, Mm -hmm. he might be seen by uh, fellow ghosts you know, or, like, God, or, I I don't know. 
Yeah, I guess I hadn't been thinking about the, like, metaphysical implications of it, but that's a great example that there is another one there. Like, he always qualifies those in that way. So I guess I was just thinking of that, of like, that. that's very much his writing style. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's just that because there are these small differences, I'm like, okay, so, like, he he qualifies them in in similar but but different specific ways um and i was just just curious um but you know neither of us have read the silmarillion which maybe says something about it and uh maybe i will at some point but not right now it it does actually it does remind me of what what it reminds me of is the like elf ghost versus human ghost like elf seeing like people ghosts and being like meh whatever yeah yeah. And then, oh. um, and there stood Mariadoc, the hobbit. And, and interesting that, I mean, it, it, that feels like a very intentional choice to say again, he's, he's a hobbit. Here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the midst of the slain, blinking like an owl in the daylight, for tears blinded him. And through a mist, he looked on Eowyn's fair head as she lay and did not move. And he looked on the face of the king fallen in the midst of his glory, for Snowmane in his agony had rolled away from him again, yet he was the bane of his master. And then Mary, uh... I, I gotta, I gotta say before we go any further, I kind of hate the way the next couple of things unfurl. Yeah, I have some problems as well. Okay, go ahead. Mary stoops and lifts Theoden's hand to kiss it. And There's so lo- much hand kissing in this in this series. So much. Lo, Theoden opened his eyes and they were clear, and he spoke in a quiet voice, though labored. Farewell, Master Hobbitla, he said. My body is broken. I go to my father's, and even in their mighty company I shall not now be ashamed. I felled the black serpent. A grim morn and a glad day and a golden sunset. Um, and, and then Mary, Mary cries. Oh my god. Well, and Mary says, this is, this, this gets me. Uh, forgive me, Lord, if I broke your command and yet have done no more in your service than to weep at our parting. Uh, Mary's out here like all I have to offer is my emotional vulnerability and openness. Yeah. Uh. And and Theoden says, grieve not, it is forgiven. Great heart will not be denied. And he apologizes for not being able to listen to Mary's herb lore and like hang out with him in the future, like promised. And then he says, you know, where is Aomer? Like, I would like to see him before I He's go. He's got to be the next king. Um, and I want to send a message to Eowyn, who I shall not see again um and mary starts to say she is but at that moment there was a great clamor and all about them horns and trumpets were blowing and then there's like battle stuff that's happening and aomer rides up in haste and i i do really like mary looked around he had forgotten the war and all the world beside, and many hours it had seemed since the king rode to his fall, though in truth it was only a little while. Yeah. Yeah, and Amir rides up. Oh, and there's a horse reference. It says, and with him came the knights of the household that still lived and had now mastered their horses. As in, mm-hmm. their horses aren't just running away in fear anymore. And Amir 
leaps down and looks sad. Then one of the knights took the king's banner from the hand of Guthlaf, the banner bearer who lay dead. Rip. That's another, like, we just got introduced to, like, it's, this feels like the Welcome to Night Vale interns bit. Like, we would love to introduce Guthlaf, the banner bearer. We regret to reform you. (laughs) Guthlaf, the banner bearer, has died. Incredible. Théoden sort of, like, you know, passes, like, hails him as king, right? And, and then dies. And so he died and knew not that Eowyn lay near him fuck it's come on so fucked up it's so fucked up yeah this this really gets like me. i just don't think tolkien had to twist the knife in that way that feels like gratuitous knife twisting and i don't think tolkien does a lot of gratuitous knife twisting but this feels like it to me i feel like i do end up liking the movie version of this better which we haven't we haven't watched yeah. yet joey i don't know if you remember this but um that kind of exchange goes to Eowyn and Theoden. I feel like yeah. that's that which is like that's the that's the kind of thing that I want from the adaptation is to is to give us those things that I you know I wish we'd seen. So Theoden and Eowyn are able to like share their yes. yeah. last that's words. A choice I yeah, approve of. Like I understand that in many ways this is you know, the hobbits are who we started with. Right. And we've sort of followed all of them. Like we followed the three hunters too, but Eowyn was not one of the fellowship and we never focus on her in the same way as we do Mm -hmm. the members of the fellowship. And so I understand kind of what Tolkien was thinking narratively here in terms Mm -hmm. of like, you know, Mary had sworn this fealty and then they have like their closure and like Pippin swears fealty to Denethor and they have their own you know uh end of that but I care her I I don't yeah I don't even begrudge I don't even begrudge the Mary and the Mary and just also have Mary like check in on Eowyn and then like drag her over to Theoden or something like having Mary and Theoden is nice because you know a, a page ago when he was kind of in the midst of the like horror brought on by the fell beast and he was trying to rally to the king with like as a father you shall be to me he said like that that emotionally speaking that really pays off for me but that even like Theoden is like oh where's the first person he asks for is Aemir not Aowen yeah and and she's just unconscious it just it hurts yeah rip rip to theoden Amir is like rip, rip to theoden but i'm different <laughs> um he's looking at all the dead on the battlefield and taking a moment to like mourn the people and then realizes that eowyn is here suddenly he beheld his sister eowyn as she lay and he knew her which okay this is just me being on my bullshit mm-hmm. i know tolkien means new as in recognizes here yeah. but i i choose like this reads to me as like he understands in this moment that like the things he had maybe brushed aside or not taken seriously or discouraged in her like how deeply held those convictions yeah. were like this is genuinely a moment of of knowing and understanding yeah. like, that deeper yeah. level of recognition instead of right 
instead of surface yeah the way mary like has this moment of like it's eowyn and it's dernhelm that like aemer right. has a moment of like yes, seeing exactly. these aspects of her that he had not previously recognized i don't know if it's really supported by the text because what happens next is yeah he he stood a moment as a man who is pierced in the midst of a cry by an arrow through the heart, and then his face went deathly white, and a cold fury arose in him, so that all speech failed him for a while. A fey mood took him. Eowyn, Eowyn, he cried at last. Eowyn, how come you here? What madness or devilry is this? Death, death, death take us all. That, in addition to Theoden's death spurs him headlong back to the front of the great host and they ride into the fray once more yes so i, I don't know if that's you know supported by no probably the shit not that i just said although also it's i mean partly it's that like he thinks that he's just lost like his only family maybe the reading of this that i like is that it's the the moment of mourning not only for for her being gone, for like, I have just in this moment understood her and it is too late. Yeah. I do want to read the, just a, a little bit more here, which says, Over the field rang his clear voice calling, Death! Ride! Ride to ruin and the world's ending! And with that, the host began to move. But the Rohirrim sang no more. Death! They cried with one voice, loud and terrible, and gathering speed like a great tide, their battle swept about their fallen king and passed, roaring away southwards. But just like the image of this like host of Rohirrim just chanting death yeah. is like chilling. Yeah. And still Meriadoc the Hobbit stood there blinking through his tears Hot. and no one spoke to him. Indeed, none seemed to heed him. He brushed away the tears and stooped to pick up the green shields that Eowyn had given him, and he slung it at his back. Then he looked for his sword that he had let fall, for even as he struck his blow, his arm was numbed, and now he could only use his left hand. And behold, there lay his weapon, but the blade was smoking like a dry branch that has been thrust in a fire, and as he watched it, it writhed and withered and was consumed. So passed the sword of the Barrow Downs, work of Westerness, but glad would he... Mm, I know what this means, I'm just... But glad would he have been to know its fate, who wrought it slowly long ago in the North Kingdom, when the Dúnedain were young, and chief among their foes was the dread realm of Angmar and its sorcerer king. No other blade, not though my dear hands had wielded it, would have dealt that foe a wound so bitter, cleaving the undead flesh, breaking the spell that knit his unseen sinews to his will. Okay, first of all, the spell that knit his sinews to his will? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. Love that. And also, I'm such a sucker for, I love the, like, through an inconceivable series of, of predetermination or coincidences this thing from far away and long ago happened to be here when it was needed yeah and it was the only thing that would do yeah Good god that like yeah so long ago someone you know who was fighting the witch king was like forging a blade for this 
I mean, not probably not the only one, but like that the weapons they were forging then in general were like specifically designed to yeah. defend against Angmar. Um, yeah, and... I, I like the sense of that being because we, we very much get that with the ring, but like that is like through the ring's own power, like through, you know. Right. Yeah. And so I, I like it applying to these other, to other things within the world. Right. Yeah, because if, in case you don't remember, like this sword Mary got because, you know, he got almost like eaten by, not eaten, but you know. <laughs> I Listen, we don't know. We don't know. Maybe. Eaten by a Barrow White. And the Barrow White had various like treasure that it had sort of, you know, stolen from other people it had eaten and definitely eaten (laughs) and that sword was one of those things and then you know mary got it after or when tom bombadil came to their rescue and then they ran around naked for a while (laughs) man Uh, remember back in the times better times god god i i really for someone who's like so deeply afraid of the fiber arts, I love them as, like, metaphors, especially for, like, magic and intention. Yeah. I mean, yarn is terrifying, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> you love to see it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So some soldiers come and they, like, pick up the king and they pick up Eowyn and they're, like, you know, gonna bear them to, I don't know, somewhere to be buried or whatever. And the, like, the king's knights that had been killed they kind of laid them separate and set spears around them presumably so that a they wouldn't be trampled and b they could like find them again later to like how yeah how are you picturing how are you picturing this i'm picturing like spears like like stuck in the ground so like upright yeah so i don't ring yeah Okay, yeah, that's what I was picturing, too, was, like, making almost, like, a makeshift fence around them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Great. And they burned the carcass of the fell beast, but for Snowmane, they dug a grave and set up a stone upon which was carved in the tongues of Gondor and the mark, faithful servant, yet master's bane, lightfoot's full, swift Snowmane. Damn. You know what's hard? What? Is digging a fucking hole big enough for a goddamn horse in the middle of a battle? Yeah. Um, I've written Lightfoot down as uh, another name. Yeah, and also that would be... Dayerwine D- D- um, is like chief among those knights, and I'll write that name down too. Oh, yeah, great. And also here in just a minute... We, oh, yeah. we mentioned earlier, there's a, a greater focus on people who die, and there are some good names that we should yes. steal. Okay, because you, we're... Hold on. No, no, no. We, we, have to, we have to visit this when we are here, which is when we were first talking about Snowmane, and there was the confusion about where Snowmane went in the movie continuity, and you thought Snowmane had died, and I was like, no, because he has to die at a very specific time and place for him to be Snowmane's bane, uh-huh. and you were very upset about that now that we've encountered it what are your feelings i don't know i think it's rude (laughs) yeah do you still do you still read it as like this was snowman's fault no mostly not 
no. I mean, like, they gave him a good burial, you know, and call him faithful yeah, fa- servant. faithful servant. I just, I couldn't, I literally just had no memory of this at the time, and I did not have enough context, and you just kept saying the words Theoden's Bane, and I was like, what the fuck? He's Theoden's best fucking friend. <laughs> They have a complicated... They're like frenemies, you know? So, that's all. Okay, that's all. I just wanted to circle back around to that because that was a... Okay, so like now that we're past this like AON heavy section, I do want to pick up our pace a little. The last thing I want to kind of say here is that Imrahil comes upon them like carrying Theoden and Eowyn and touches her hand to look more and bends to look more closely on her because she's like beautiful or whatever. (laughs) Then he's like, yeah, yo, are none of you doctors? She's hurt, but not dead. Yes, this is great. He's already crying, which I love. Yes. Um, Be open and honest about your feelings. Yes. King. And he says, are there no leeches among you? Which is, you know. Yes. Well, I just want to say, in case you are not aware of this, like, leech was a a common, like, colloquial term for, you know, doctor because of the practice of bleeding with leeches. But then it was, so it's not... I think if you don't have that context, it's you're like, just it's like, like calling a doctor. Why the fuck is he calling them leeches? That's like unnecessarily mean. But he's literally just saying, you know, like, are there are there no docs among you? Boy, do you ever get upset just thinking about the both history and present of yeah, mm-hmm. of yep. medicine all the time. I do really love the way. Oh yeah, I love the way that he fucking demonstrates yes. that she's still alive. He held the bright burnished vambrace that was upon his arm before her cold lips, and behold, a little mist was laid on it, hardly to be seen. That's fucking yeah. tight. It's great. And then he it's like so sends good. someone to ride back to the city to bring aid, medical aid, as quickly as possible. But he like rides away into battle. Yeah. We can yeah, like you said, we can kind of burn through the rest of this chapter. There's really just like one moment left that we should talk about in my yes. opinion. Yes, which moment is that? Is it the moment where uh, my favorite the ships. man shows up? Your favorite, Joey's favorite, yes Joey, my please. My favorite man! Take us on to your favorite man. Okay, so as I said, there's been this kind of like, oh it's looking good and then it's looking bad and it's looking good and then it's looking bad and one of the things that was making it look bad is that there are ships coming that they see and they think it's the Corsairs of Umbar which means that all of these other cities have been taken um and the Corsairs which are like the enemy or you know one of the enemies are here and like hope dies in their hearts and whatever uh but guess who it is actually it's my favorite man because a standard shows on the foremost ship and the wind displayed it there flowered a white tree and that was for gondor but seven stars were about it and a high crown above it the signs of elendil that no lord had borne for years beyond count and the stars flamed in the sunlight 
for they were wrought of gems by Arwen, daughter of Elrond, and the crown was bright in the morning, for it was wrought of mithril and gold. So first of all, that black standard that we saw previously actually has, like, the white tree plus stars and a crown on it, mm-hmm. which is cool. And it's all, like, sparkly and hand-embroidered by Arwen, which is sick as Brad, shit. yeah. And... And then it says, Thus came Aragorn, son of Arathorn, Elisar, Isildur's heir, out of the paths of the dead, born upon a wind from the sea to the kingdom of Gondor. And the mirth of the Rohirrim was a torrent of laughter and a flashing of swords. And the joy and wonder of the city was a music of trumpets and a ringing of bells. Aragorn, like, comes forward with all his guys and, like, Loss and Gimli, and he's carrying his sword, and also upon his brow was the star of Elendil, which I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I really want to talk about is, so at length, Eomer and Aragorn met in the midst of the battle, and they leaned on their swords and looked on one another and were glad. Thus we meet again, though all the hosts of Mordor lay between us, said Aragorn. Did I not say so at the Hornburg? So you spoke, said Eomer, but hope oft deceives, and I knew not then that you were a man foresighted. Yet twice blessed is help unlooked for, and never was a meeting of friends more joyful. And they clasped hand in hand. There's an interesting AU. This doesn't like work super well with the larger like themes and narratives that I prefer, but there's definitely an AU where like Eowyn is like, why? I don't know why Aragorn like doesn't seem to reciprocate. Or, or is emotionally unavailable, and Aragorn is like, yo, I, you seem tight, like, genuinely, but I have already fucked your brother. Like, we can't. Yeah. We can't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like my, you know, headcanon of Aragorn having just, like, a lot of exes that he is still friends with, mm-hmm. like, Aemir is, it's not just elf boys, it's also Aemir. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, okay, I love this. When... Aemir, when they first encounter each other in the books and Aemir and like his Aored like circle them with horses and it's kind of like intimidating and yeah. they're like, it's just Aemir giving him shit on purpose. Oh yeah. Like it is, they are playing a fucking game. Yeah. It's uh, like, who is, who let this scruffy looking guy in? Like. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's absolutely a form of like dangerous flirting. Yeah. 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 Uh, where did Aragorn get the star of Elendil? Uh, um, huh. That's a great question. Has he just been carrying a crown around in his backpack somewhere? Oh, buddy. <laughs> just waiting? Wait, wait, wait. The star of Elendil or Elendil... Elendil... Elendilmir was the name given to two noble star... Sh- two noble star-shaped white gems set on a mithril fillet. Okay, I'm confused now because this... My book says, A diamond, one of the heirlooms of the North Kingdom. It represented Arendil, which had served as a guide to the Edine when they sailed to Numenor. The star was worn on the brow of the kings of the North Kingdom until... Uh Uh-oh. Hello? Elisar gave it Uh to Sam Gamgee in... Joy? Oh, in in F.O. 16... I don't know what F.O. means, but presumably that is yet to happen. Ottergorn is going to give this diamond 
to Sam. Are you still there? Hello? Uh-oh. Hello? Hello? So Aragorn is going to give it to Sam in the future. Yeah, okay. It says, so I'm on the, uh, like, Tolkien gateway right now. It says, mm-hmm. the so the, there's two stars of Elendil because the original one was lost with a Sildur. Uh, so okay. a copy was made by the el- elven smiths of Rivendell for his son Valendil. It's the symbol of the North Kingdom. It remained in a Sildur's line down to the time of Aragorn, who wore it during the Battle of Pelennor Fields. It's like the even star. Like, it is... He has had it with him, just maybe it hasn't been displayed. I don't know how he's been keeping this, like, priceless thing. Yeah, but literally, like, he's just been fucking carrying around a diamond tiara. Yeah, just for when the time comes. Just, like, in the bottom of his rucksack next to his little greasy tin of lip balm and dried meat. Yeah. Yeah, so this does seem to be the first mention of it in this text yeah i mean the other possibility here is that the you know the elf boys the elf boys who brought him the standard from arwen also, also brought, brought it the yeah, circlet when, when was because that? arwen had it that's the pass of the dead right mm, it's prior it's, to that because it's when they're deciding to do that Okay, whatever. It, I just thought it was funny that, like, he just suddenly has a crown. Yeah. You know, most people wear, like, a helm into battle. Something <laughs> a little more protective. Aragorn wears his strongest looks into battle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, and that's kind of the end of... Yeah. Th- there's, hold on. There's the one thing at the end of the chapter, which we kind of set up, so I want to finish... So Aragorn, Eomer, and Imrahil at the end of this fight ride back to the gate of the city. These three were unscathed, for such was their fortune and their skill and the might of their arms, and few in- that few indeed had dared to abide them or look on their faces in the hour of their wrath. But many others were hurt or maimed or dead upon the field. And then there's a, a list of like who died yeah. and how. The axes hewed forlong as he fought alone and unhorsed. And both Doolin of Morthond and his brother were trampled to death when they assailed the Mumakil, leading their bowmen close to shoot at the eyes of the monsters. Neither Hirluin the Fair would return to Pinneth Gallen, nor Grimbold to Grimslate, Grimbold of Grimslate, <laughs> nor Halberad to the Northlands, dour-handed ranger. No few had fallen, renowned or nameless, captain or soldier, for it was a great battle and the full count of it. Uh, and the full count of it, no tale has told. And then there's a song about it. So some of these people, we, we you know, we have been introduced to before. Like, I think actually Grimbold of Grimslade. These events are, like, so large that, like, I don't know. That yeah. feels to me like Tolkien's personal experience to a nod of, like, we, we understand the battle through the lens of its, who's deemed to be its important players later, but like each person has a full life and like, there can be, there can be no account of it. Like it is, it is too large to understand and sing songs about. And then this, you know, this song that they, he does kind of say like, you know, long afterward, uh, a maker in Rohan sang this song. There are other names too, like some of the same names and some other names. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. And next is chapter seven.
The Pyre of Denethor. Wow. More like the Fire of Denethor. I almost made that exact <laughs> fucking joke earlier. It's such a bad joke. Oh my god. That's what a pyre is. Yeah. Pyre festival. Fire mm. fest. Uh, I'm a pyromaniac. <laughs> this is, we have to, we can't. It's this, I mean. Uh, okay, so. I, I got pyred at work. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Pippin, uh, we left off Pippin. where Pippin had, like, Pippin. left Denethor doing his bullshit and, like, gone to find Gandalf. Even though Pippin, like, is an adult and is competent, has had the panic reaction that I think everyone has had, which is, like, I am an adult. Yeah. And, and this is, so we do get some interesting connectivity here because when Pippin had, had come upon Gandalf before, Gandalf was, like, facing off with the Witch King. Mm-hmm. And now the Witch King's attention has been drawn away. Right. And so this literally starts with, when the dark shadow at the gate withdrew, Gandalf still sat motionless. Um, but Pippin rose to his feet as if a great weight had been lifted from him. Oh, and I'm sorry, I need to read this. Yeah, you got, you have to. And he stood listening to the horns, and it seemed to him that they would break his heart with joy. And never in after years could he hear a horn blown in the distance without tears starting in his eyes. Fuck. Bro, tears are starting in my eyes. Fuck. Like, I can't. I know. Pippin's so absurdly grateful to be alive and have his friend Gandalf be alive. Mm-hmm. Oh. Gandalf is about to, uh, like, ride out of the gate. He speaks to Shadowfax and is about to ride, and Pippin calls his name. And Gandalf kind of gives him shit for it. Um, but Pippin is like, no, there's something terrible going on. And Gandalf says, okay, tell me. And Pippin does. And Gandalf has to basically make this decision between following the Witch King because, like, he knows that there's important battle happening or, you know, trying to save Faramir's life. Mm-hmm. And he chooses yeah. to go with Pippin. But he says later in the chapter, too, that, like, when he finds out that Theoden has died, that he's like, I could maybe have prevented that, but yeah, I couldn't, but then Faramir would be dead. Yeah, there's two things I want to point out here, which is that because so much of, like, Gandalf's direction to Shadowfax is spoken, mm-hmm. I definitely, I don't know if you read it this way, but Gandalf, Gandalf cried Pippin and Shadowfax halted. That's, like, mm. Shadowfax hearing Pippin yep. and, like, waiting. Like, yeah. Gandalf, yeah, that's definitely how I heard that. Yeah, totally. And when Gandalf and Pippin are talking and trying to decide what to do, it says, so Pippin poured out his tail and reaching up and touching Gandalf's knee with trembling hands. Can't you save Faramir? Oh. So they so they go and what they find is no guard at the gate of the citadel, which is where Baragond had been previously. And Pippin had, if you remember, told Baragond, like, look, if you love your master Faramir, then reconsider like your loyalty to Denethor's commands. Mm-hmm. And they get to the closed door. 
uh, which is capitalized. Uh, it stood wide open and the porter lay before it. He was slain and his key had been taken, which is sad. But Gandalf says, work of the enemy, such deeds he loves, friend at war with friend, loyalty divided in confusion of hearts. So there's, you know, this, this thing starting to play out here where, you know, the influence of Sauron is causing, you know, this violence against each other as the guards choose sides, basically. He dismounts and bade Shadowfax return to his stable. For my friend, he said, you and I should have ridden to the fields long ago, but other matters delay me. Yet come swiftly if I call. Yeah, he's like, okay, like you can go chill since like we're not going out, but be ready. Yeah. And they get to kind of the inner part of Rath Dinan and they're literally they're like fighting. servants of Denethor with swords and torches that are like about to or have been attacking Baragond, who is like holding the door against them. And two of them have, have already fallen because of Baragond. But like Baragond listened and he is doing his damnedest to protect Faramir. Yeah. Yeah, even at the cost of these people who he probably knows. Yeah. Um, and they're calling him like outlaw and traitor to his master. Gandalf stops it all just as Denethor like comes through the door from the other direction. Carrying a fucking sword. Yeah, lo- lone man like holding the passage. There upon the door, which Baragon held shut with his left hand, was wrenched open. That's Denethor appearing. Mm-hmm. But that like that detail of like, okay, yeah, he's trying to fight off multiple people with one hand and use yeah, another hand to, to push hold the, the door other shut. direction. God. Yeah. And then Gandalf springs up the step and he's like emitting light again. His coming was like the incoming of a white light into a dark place, and he came with great anger. Yeah. And Denethor, Denethor's sword flew up in a way. Yeah, like Gandalf just lifts up his hand and with that like motion, Denethor's sword just like flies out of his hand. You could say Denethor. <laughs> and then they talk briefly and Gandalf is like, yep, he's gone mad. Um, goes in and thankfully finds Faramir. Drenched in oil, but not on fire yet, even though he has a fever, because Denethor has been saying, like... He's already burning. He already has a fire in his flesh. He's burning. Yeah. Um, And Gandalf just, like, jumps up onto the pyre and grabs Faramir, just picks him up. Yeah. And then springs down again. Let wizards be beefy. Yeah, which says, Gandalf revealed the strength that lay hid in him, even as the light of his power was hidden under his gray mantle. Yeah, and then and then we get sad again. But as he did so, Faramir moaned and called on his father in his dream. Denethor started as one waking from a trance, and the flame died in his eyes, and he wept and said, Do not take my son from me. He calls for me. He calls, said Gandalf, but you you cannot come to him yet, for he must seek healing on the threshold of death, and maybe find it not, whereas your part is to go out into the battle of your city, where maybe death awaits you, this you know in your heart. 
which is already great. But I, again, of the thing of like me reading like way too far into like one line in a way, I don't know if it's intended or not, but Gandalf saying, you cannot come to him yet. Like you and Faramir are not going to be okay because you've had this realization of how you were acting. Like that's still not enough. It's not that the realization isn't enough. It's that he, he hasn't really had a realization yet. Like, yeah. Yes, he starts as one waking from a trance, but, like, he's not fully back because in this next conversation, like, right. he, He, he makes know. another drastic decision. Right. But, yeah, it is. It's, like, no, like, until you have, you know, worked through your transphobia, like, you don't get to, come, you right. know, come, like, be a, continue being a dick father to Faramir. Right. Exactly. Um, and then Denethor reveals that he has a palantir, like, just in the other room, uh, mm-hmm. as I predicted. Was he, like, keeping it in a pillowcase? Uh. Oh, no, it was on a pillow. I, I, for whatever reason, <laughs> I misread that as I was reading, and I just had it that, like, Denethor, like, had it loose in a pillowcase. Well, That's how he'd been, like... No, okay, hold on. Stepping swiftly back to the table... He lifted from it the pillow on which his head had lain. Then coming to the doorway, he drew aside the covering, and lo, he had between his hands a palantir. So maybe it wasn't a pillowcase, it was just a cloth, but like what the reader thought was a pillow, what is originally described as a pillow, was actually just a palantir with fabric around it. And maybe it was a pillowcase. Just, I feel like it's pretty hard to sleep on a palantir or to mistake a pillow for a palantir. Like, those are very different shapes, you know? Yeah, who can say? I just, I really like the mental image of this, like, incredibly heavy, precious, like, marble orb. Just, like, Denethor just, like, clutching it inside of a pillowcase sack. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, and he says, like, look, I'm not like making these decisions from blind ignorance i've been using the palantir to like see what is coming and i know that like the corsairs the ships he talks about Ottergorn ships but he too thinks that they are the enemy Mm -hmm. which is fascinating to me right and so like obviously there's no hope and denethor gets shitty about like Look, like, I'm not gonna stay here and let some ranger from the north supplant me. Like, I know that, too, and I'm not cool with it. And they have a little conversation about, like, what it means to be a steward. But ultimately, Denethor takes a torch and gets up on the pyre and lights it. Yes, so that is the general shape of it. There are a few little lines I want to pluck out because Mm -hmm. we don't have very much left. So first of all, when... He, being Denethor, first reveals his palantir and is like, this is hopeless. He says, go then in labor and healing, which I think is a really Mm -hmm. interesting revealing thing about, like, what Denethor believes to be, like, worthy of energy and possible. That, like, healing Mm -hmm. is such a, like... Like, he treats it with contempt. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And then later in that conversation, Gandalf at one point says, like... What then would you have if your will could have its way? And Denethor says, essentially, I want things to go back to the way they used to be. Like, I want to, I want to rule. I want to leave my rule to my sons. But if Doom denies this to me, then I will have not. Neither life diminished, nor love halved, nor honor abated. And then the steward thing. And how 
Denethor responds to, like, Gandalf saying, like, a good steward would, would want to do his job well. Denethor says, Thou hast already stolen half my son's love. Now thou stealest the heart of my knights also, so that they rob me wholly of my son at the last. And I think that's such an interesting, like, to be kind of explicitly comparing roles and defections here. Yeah. In that way. Like, a very, very much like a, <laughs> this isn't the exact parallel, but that mindset, that really damaging mindset that people have of, like, if I, if I can't have you, no one can. Yeah. And also, I mean, ugh, I don't know. I hadn't quite put it into these words before. You know, the way transphobic parents, they tend, like one of the arguments I have seen that's like a little on the pithy side, but I think uh, true and helpful is like, look, you can either have a, a trans kid or a dead kid. Like, yeah. like there's no you're not going to convince your kid to not be trans. So either you love them or you lose them. Mm -hmm. And Denethor is really uh, leaning into that here. (laughs) Like, I know that's, that's not, you know, there are other issues at play, but this possessiveness, this like Faramir isn't the son he imagined having. And so he can't, or, you know, he won't accept him as the son he has and instead like is so attached to this image of like what he thinks could be and if he can't have that he wants nothing and it's just devastating my my control is the most is the most important element such that i cannot conceive of or, or tolerate your autonomy yeah now that we're like here and have the palantir thing like I mean, we confirmed it before, but now that we've kind of come full circle on the Palantir, I want to revisit, like, the thing that is so, like, uncanny about Denethor is that he has, I think the book describes it as farsight. And I think with the Palantir, I'm kind of reinterpreting it that as, like, he does not have that. Like, humans do not have that ability. Like, it was unnatural. It seemed unnatural because it came from the Palantir. Like, he did know things he shouldn't be able to know and see things he shouldn't be able to see. Mm. Mm-hmm. I want to read this line about the Palantir, which is that, like, he lays himself on the table, oh. clasping the Palantir yeah. with both hands upon his breast, and it was said that ever after, if any man looked in that stone, unless he had a great strength of will to turn it to other purpose, he saw only two aged hands withering in flame. Yeah, and then actually right after it, Gandalf in grief and horror turned his face away and closed the door. For a while, he stood and thought, silent upon the threshold. This is like an ongoing characterization thing with Gandalf that I really love, that Gandalf Gandalf is so powerful, but it reminds me of his dealings with with Sauron too. Like, even though he has the, the power to, you know, just kill kill him or strip him of his power or whatever like he he is looking he he asked Denethor like what would you have if your will could have its way like he is trying to help these people like reimagine themselves and 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 what they want in their futures such that they get to help the people around them instead of harm them Mm -hmm. and is and it still feels feels grief like that that's a really potent characterization of like what power could look like 
Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because we don't ever have the exact scene of like Gandalf sitting in that courtyard. Well, I just realized I said Sauron. I meant Saruman, obviously. Sorry. Oh, yes. Sorry. I translated that in my head. Yeah. I I just wanted to say it. (laughs) Yep. Good. Um, you know, the, the shot of Gandalf sitting in the courtyard while Faramir like rides to his, you know, potential death. Right. But like this moment feels like that in character, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. Gandalf is kind of like taking this moment and, you know, as you said in your tweet, I think like contemplating mortality, right? Right. And then he brings Faramir to the Houses of Healing with Baragon's help. Yeah, and there's there's one little line here that I have to bring up, which is, yeah, they're talking about the, the House of Healing, and it says, There dwelt the few women that had been permitted to remain in Minas Tirith, since they were skilled in healing or in the service of the healers. Yeah, where, where did the rest of them go? Yeah, because I didn't think that Minas Tirith had time to be evacuated in that way. Yeah, I didn't think so either. I don't know. Anyways. But yeah. I mean, that's also Lord of the Rings. There dwelt the few women. Mm-hmm. And um, then they hear the cry, which is the death of the Lord of the Nazgul. And their hearts were lifted in such a hope as they had not known since the darkness came out of the east. And it seemed to them that the light grew clear and the sun broke through the clouds. Mm-hmm. Gandalf has this line where like he's been silent for a while and then he turns to Baragond and Pippin and says my friends and all you people of this city and of the western lands things of great sorrow and renown have come to pass shall we weep or be glad beyond hope the captain of our foes has been destroyed and you have heard the echo of his last despair but he has not gone without woe and bitter loss and that I might have averted but for the madness of Denethor. So long has the reach of our enemy become. Alas, but now I perceive how his will was able to enter into the very heart of the city. And then he kind of explains to them that, you know, Denethor had had the Palantir, and he saw real things that, like, he had enough strength to not be something. Subdued to the will of the dark power. Yes, exactly. But that Sauron had enough power there to only show him certain things. And so he was only seeing kind of like the worst case scenario things and not the full picture, which fed the despair of his heart until it overthrew his mind. And Pippin realizes like, oh, right. I remember when he went away and he came back and seemed like, you know, old and broken and tired, which is that earlier time that we had inferred like, Oh, I think he's looking at a Palantir. Yeah. You Um, were. Yeah. That was, that was not we, that was you. Like that was such an absolute, like good scoop (laughs) on your part. Thank you. Um, and then Gandalf says like, okay, I'm going to go down. Baragond, like go talk to your chief and tell him what happened. Baragond gets exactly what he wants here, which is that he did the right thing to defend Faramir and now gets to go be the guard and servant of your captain. Oh, Mm. yes. Yeah, I forgot about that. But yes. And to be at his side when he awakes, if that shall ever be again. Oh my god, Faramir is gonna wake up with Baragond, like, holding (gasps) his hand. Or, or or, Or the thing where he, like, wakes up in his 
little bed with the linens tucked in around him, and he looks up and see that Baragon is asleep in a chair yes. by his side and clearly hasn't left. Yes. Wow. Fuck. Um, I just, I, I really, I liked that line of Gandalf's, shall we weep or be glad? Because, like, you know, this battle, like, there has been a great victory. The Witch King is dead, and also Theoden is dead, and Eowyn is, you know, nearly mortally wounded. I think that's... I just want to read the last sentence. Oh, of course. Yeah, we usually do. Sorry. Yeah. And even as they hastened on their way, the wind brought a gray rain, and all the fires sank, and there arose a great smoke before them. Literally being unable to see what they're walking forward into. I mean, it's interesting because the rain, too, is like, it is both a relief that it is putting the fires out and it is its own problem. Yeah. Weather symbolism. Mm. Couldn't be Tolkien. <sighs> Not Tolkien using weather symbolism. A, natu- a, a natural metaphor in my Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, those are our chapters. Lots of general horse mentions some sad horse news today yes shadowfax continues to be a perfect horse though i love that he and gandalf like speak like i understand some of that is like gandalf giving directions to shadowfax because like no reins but i also believe that it's then like this is very earnest but not even like chatting but like gandalf genuinely being like where should we go? Where could we be the most help? Like, yeah. even if it's not a back and forth with shadow facts, he's like speaking aloud to bounce his thoughts off and, and get some comfort. I mean, I do think there is a greater element of collaboration between them. Yeah. So uh, that's our first vow. Second, that's also the second vow. Yeah. Did you have a favorite horse from, <laughs> from today? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were three actually mentioned by name. Yeah. We had Snowmane and we had Shadowfax and we had Windfulla. Probably Windfulla. Uh, there's not really any mention of what happens to Windfulla. Uh, Windfulla like runs off and is okay. after the Nazgul scream and that's when Mary and Eowyn are both thrown. Oh, right. Okay. But that's the last we hear of yeah. Windfulla. Have we used that name for another horse? Because we I honestly A1's can't horse. remember. We'll check we'll check the doc, but write it down and yeah. we'll No, I don't think we did because we had named Eowyn's horse. Megillowen. Right. Yeah. So we should we should definitely use that. Um, okay. Oath three. Rewrite a song. Well Rewrite a song. There are a couple songs sort of in I mean there's one song in some like battle chant sort of things but the, the um, song is a list of is a list of who died and how they died and it's like the same sort of cadence as the one that we wrote about brago's bravery um and mm-hmm. is very somber and so we are going backwards instead to tom bombadil because there's that mention of mary's sword coming from mm-hmm. the barrow downs and so much like a horse, when faced with the prospect of something that we don't want to do, we are saying, no, thank you, I will go backwards. Right. And also, I thought it was sort of interesting slash funny to think like, oh, all of this tragedy is happening. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Tom Bombadil is just <laughs> running around in his yellow boots. <laughs> it is It is great to go back to the ranch. 
Yeah, and we could use some levity. Caitlin has been dreading this song because Caitlin hates I Tom just Bombadil. Don't, I, I, don't, I don't know that I hate Tom Bombadil anymore, but I will never feel a fondness for Tom Bombadil's stupid fucking songs. Yeah, but we're going to rewrite one anyway. Great. The question is... Which one? Which... Which one or which portion of really just an ongoing song that Bombadil is constantly singing? Hop along, my little friends, up the withy windle. Hey, come, dairy doll, hop along me hearties. My hearties, he's not a pirate. <laughs> we could do we could do the old Tom Bombadil is a merry fellow. Bright blue is his jacket and his boots are yellow. We could do that about a horse. Yes, uh, which chapter is that is it here let me let me send you let me send you a a link on your computer this might be easier this is a all of tom bombadil's songs in one spot oh perfect i'm just gonna get rid of my book get it out of here throw that throw that brick away away. (laughs) you don't need it anymore oh yeah actually i really think we should do number eight yes so tom teaches the hobbits the like tom bombadil's bat signal song to sing if they get in trouble And they do when Frodo calls it out. And then Tom responds with, Old Tom Bombadil is a merry fellow. Bright blue is his jacket and his boots are yellow. None has ever caught him yet for Tom. He is the master. His his songs are stronger songs and his feet are faster. I like mm. that because it's short and sweet. We can do some like horse markings descriptions and we can even keep and his feet are faster. Okay, great. Kind of a short song for today, but kind of a short episode. And I'm personally loving it. What if we sing this about Windfalla? Because it can be like, Plucky Bay Windfalla is a merry fellow. I do like that. What if we gave Tom Bombadil a horsona? Yeah, we can do that. It feels maybe too goofy for Windfalla. Yeah, that's fair. So are we... Keeping Bombadil as a name, then? For for Tom Bombadil? Yeah, I mean, for his horsona. Oh, yeah, I didn't think we would rename his horsona. I thought we would just yeah. decide what he looked like as a horse and describe it. Yeah, 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 yeah I was okay. Just, I was just confirming that. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if we can change old Tom, though. Can we put something else there? to signify to indicate that that he's a horse he that he's a horse like like little like like horse au bombadil like little pony bombadil is a merry fellow uh both little pony and horse au are the same number of syllables so dealer's choice that is false they are different numbers of horse au bombadil little little pony oh yeah Horse A. But it it's really oh, not about yeah. the number of syllables. It is about like the, the where the emphasis falls. I but horse AU is feels awkwarder to more awkward to say. Sure. To me. It doesn't have to be little pony, but like I was mainly joking yeah. about horse <laughs> AU Bombadil. Yeah. It doesn't have to be little pony though. I'm just using that as an example of like it could be like Old Bay Bombadil. Oh, you know? we can't we can't name him Old Bay Bombadil. <laughs> he's a fucking okay seafood boil. Piebald Bombadil. Some you know, a horse descriptor word. Yeah, agreed. Buckskin Bombadil. Oh my god! And then we can then we can keep yellow. Honestly, then yes! we can keep yellow. Let's do it. Yes. 
Okay, Buckskin Bombadil is a merry fellow. I kind of like that because Tom Bombadil as a horse, he's like a distillation of something. And I, on some level, because of the importance of Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron to me as an impressionable young horse girl, like Mm -hmm. on some level, like Buckskins are the platonic horse to me. Yeah. Buckskin Bombadil. That's my fucking next tabletop character. <laughs> um, oh man, what our name is going to be like in Song Fiel. Oh my god. I Have you listened to... Yes. I am so fucking excited. I love the cave what spit fire, the cave yeah. nuns, the fucking demon empress, Ribadon the frog god, the like crow yeah, trickster who... Look, okay, we can't. We don't have time for this. If... This sounds great to you, and you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? As yeah. we've said before, listen to Friends at the Table, specifically their new season, which has no connection to prior seasons, so you don't need to listen to anything before this one. And it just started. Like it's one, a great time to one jump on. One episode is out so far, so now is the time. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Buckskin Bombadil is a merry fellow. Bright blue saddlecloth. Yeah, do you... And his rump is yellow. (laughs) Do you want bright blue? Like, it doesn't have to be bright blue. I like all the alliterative Bs. Okay, what if it is, like, bright black, his mane and tail, and his rump is yellow? Oh, yeah, that makes bright black. We don't... It's just a suggestion. No, it it is a good suggestion. Bright black... His mane and tail. Mane and tail... It, we can black. we can cut his it it can go either way. I think we should. I think it feels a little more natural to me. Yeah. Bright black mane and tail, and his rump is yellow. Mm-hmm. This is this has really become like a schoolyard song, you know? Yeah. None has ever caught him yet. For mm, for Tom, he is the master. His name isn't Tom now, though. Yeah, and also the like. It's kind of a weird set up anyways yeah i think what i would like to keep is none has ever caught him yet and then the and his feet are faster but we can replace the end of his the third songs line are stronger first. songs okay tolkien <laughs> do we want to do we want to find a new rhyme for faster other than master yes disaster Blaster. <laughs> i do i like disaster antimacassar <laughs> oh what about none has ever caught him yet he escapes disaster oh yeah that's great can we can we change escapes to eludes yes because i like it being more about like him being like a weird wily motherfucker yeah 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 so what is it beyond him being fast that, he's clever. I mean, he's... Right. It's what you just said. Okay. So yeah. um, he's a wily motherfucker and his feet are fast. <laughs> oh my God, God. Joey, can we please do that? Yes, of course. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm really excited about this one. I was not excited to do a Bombadil song, but I feel like it's, it's worked out. Do we want to trade lines? Yes. Do you want to do one and three or two and four? I kind of want four, so maybe two and four. Uh, okay. Here it is. Our masterpiece. 
of a song. I hope you're all grateful. <laughs> Buckskin Bombadil is a merry fellow. Bright black mane and tail and his rump is yellow. None has ever caught him yet. He eludes disaster. He's a wily motherfucker and his feet are faster. Wow. Wow. Fucking four line wonders. Yeah. Mwah. Perfect. Beautiful. Vow three done. Vow four. Are the beacons lit? Nope. <laughs> okay. Nope. Guess those messengers got got beheaded by orcs in the I forest for their bodies to be found trying later. Trying not to say that. Yeah, you just wanted to. <laughs> you just wanted to imply it. No, I sort of, I started saying it, and then I was like, oh shit, I shouldn't have said this, but I was at least not going to make it worse. It's fine. Okay, so, vows complete. Yes. If you do have questions in the future... Send them to us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I feel like if you've been listening, you probably have a sense of this, but I do want to say... They can be serious questions about what happened to so-and-so, or like, what is the lore of this? Or, you know, uh, rank horses, give my horse a Middle Earth name, all of those things. But it can also be far dumber, if you desire. Yeah, you could ask us, I'm not judging this question as being, you know, serious or less intelligent or anything, but... Uh, you could ask us, like, what we think Bill the Pony's favorite snack is, or ask Damn, us... Damn, let's throw that one in for free. What do you think Bill the Pony's favorite snack is? I think peanut butter. Oh, peanut butter is a good pony snack. I feel like Sam would make him what he refers to as sandwiches, where he would take little slices of apple and put peanut butter between them, and he would make them on... I think Frodo gets frustrated with him because Sam... Sam makes these little sandwiches on, like, the nice tea plates and then takes them out to feed Bill so Bill can have tea. Okay, I have uh, an additional detail of those sandwiches. I think he makes he makes little, like, flat oat cakes. He oh. does a, you know, like a DIY... DIY. I don't know what happened there. Of, like, uh, of Mrs... Mrs. Pasture's apple cookies. Is her name really Mrs. Pasture? You know, either she was meant to go into the horse business or she put herself in the horse business, you know? Anyways, yes, he makes like a Mrs. Pasture's apple cookie dupe, but like thinner and flatter and and bigger and then puts apple and peanut butter between two of those. Oh, that's good. Oh my god. And then sometimes he sneaks a little bite also. Because they're pretty, Sam, they're pretty Sam, delicious. Oh, honestly, I would eat one. Yeah. Sam uh, sticks a finger into the clotted cream for, like, scones mm-hmm. in the afternoon and takes a lick for himself and then licks, lets Bill oh. the Pony, like, lick it off his finger. Yeah. Wow. We don't even, we don't even need you all. I think, but, but we are deeply grateful for you all regardless. <laughs> I think Sam becomes the Mrs. Pasture of the Shire. Like, he starts yeah. selling his horse treats, like, at the, you know, at the market and stuff. And then he, like, eventually, like, shares recipes and things. Oh, my God. I, yeah, I'm picturing, like, Sam 
about his like normal business of day and his little pockets are full of little treats because yeah he doesn't know who he'll, who he'll meet along the way and i think at some point he definitely like gives some to some hobbit kids for them to give to their ponies yeah. but they eat them and like them mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> treats for kids wow. and ponies treats for kids and ponies it's you know like that uh like carpet cleaner spray that's like kids and pets it's but it... no no okay there's there's a cleaning solution that my mom always kept in the house for like when you know we had like a dog pee on the carpet or whatever and it's just called right. kids and pets because it's great for all kinds of stains that kids and pets create but great but sam makes treats that are for called kids and pets but ki- kids and ponies tots and trots oh <laughs> oh gamgee's tots and trots treats <laughs> mr what, what what did he say mr mr s gamgee oh yeah mr s gamgee's tots and trots wow oh my god okay, okay. well hey Remember at the beginning of this episode when we said various things, but we did not introduce ourselves? Do you want to cartoonishly add ourselves back in there? Mm, Probably not. Yeah, fair. Like, we could record that right now. Like, we could just do it right now on this recording and then you can splice things if you want to. But I guess I just wanted to acknowledge What if we just introduce ourselves now no because it's gonna happen in the outro yeah that's what i was. I mean we could say. do it now and you using the power of time travel can and your scrub button can use it to to work backwards mm, yeah i don't think that's you know what nope. it just didn't fucking happen it this didn't time happen. It's okay. i just wanted to apologize mostly i wanted to poke fun at ourselves for forgetting but also sorry that we did not do the thing we're trying to do we did provide you, however, a free, wonderful Build-A-Pony answer. Yeah. So, it works out. Uh, we'll be back next time with a movie episode. We will let you know the timestamps when we know them. Yep. Until then, enjoy a nice Mr. S. Gamgee's Tot and Trot. Mmm, oats. Thank you for listening. The music you heard at the beginning was Horse by Horse, arranged and performed by Caitlin and Joey. That's us. You can listen to it again at soundcloud.com slash shadowfactspod. The cover art was made by Annie Johnston Click at Dancy Naru on Twitter. I'm Caitlin, my pronouns are they, them, and you can follow me at Chalo and Behold on Twitter. You can follow the show at shadowfactspod and email your horse-related Lord of the Rings questions to shadowfactspod at gmail.com. Joining me on this journey there and back again is Joey. My pronouns are they, he, and you can follow me on Twitter at Joey the Prince. If you want to read and watch along, check the episode description for the segment we'll cover next time. This has been Shadow Facts. One horse to rule them all! Ha 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 ha!